and uh, actually kind of fits in a little bit this morning here with what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Why don't you turn to Psalm 122, Psalm 122. So December the 7th, after the uh, morning service, we'll have our Christmas lunch, and everybody's invited, you can bring a dish. All those on the internet, if you want to drive in, even come in from New Jersey, we'll, we'll, you don't have to bring a dish. We'll make a place for you. And wherever else, Illinois, Indiana, or wherever, Colorado, there you go. Oh, yeah, we'll take one from there, too. So, all right, looking forward to that. My stomach's already growling. <laughs> Psalm 122, a familiar hymn, psalm from the Psalter. It's only nine verses, so we'll read, read all nine verses this morning. He says, the psalmist there, David, says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and my companions' sake, I will now say, peace be within thee because of the house of the Lord our God I will seek thy good. And may the Lord add blessings to the reading of his word, which the Lord promises to each and every one of us. Of course, in verse 6 is a verse very familiar to all of us. We talk about that one quite frequently, and we will definitely zero in on that uh, here in just a few moments. But I thought it might be well to look at the entire psalm and look at the context in which it's all given and let it serve as a reminder to us, um, really as the hymn we just sang, that the earth is the Lord's. This is my Father's world. It belongs to him. And this city of which he speaks is his also. It's his desire to dwell there and he will. In these Psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, you'll notice in your Bible that it says um, a song of degrees under each one of those. From Psalm 120 up through Psalm 134, it says a song of degrees. Others uh, would translate that as a song of ascents. Or, now, not A-S-E-N-S-E, ascents, but A-S-E-N-T-S, ascents, like you're going up or climbing, uh, ascending. Or a song of steps, and that brings it down to being even more literal yet. The song of degrees, of course, we'll, we'll get to the reason why it's translated that way, and hopefully we'll be able to make some sense out of all of that. But it's interesting, um, <clears throat> the way in which we've come to understand this, this hymn, because not everybody's in agreement 
I mean, it is uh, uh, based upon the usages and meanings of the word. There are about that many ways you can understand this psalm. For instance, the first one is that uh, it says it's a, it's a song of David. A song of degrees of David. And he says in verse 1, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, the first thing you might think is, was there was no house of the Lord in David's day. The temple had not been built. Solomon, his son, built the house. But it's also interesting to note and find that um, the word house is referred to the tabernacle on several occasions in Scripture, long before David came along. Now, if I can find these, I'm, going to, I'm getting out of sync here, and I, I don't know why I do these things, but here we go. Uh, turn to uh, Judges chapter 19 and verse 18. And we'll just look at these in order. There, are, there aren't that many of them, so it won't take but a moment to really scan through them. Judges chapter 19 and verse 18. And here it says, And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. From thence am I, and I went to Bethlehem, Judah. But I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. And then if you look over at 1 Samuel chapter 1, just a few pages to the right, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 7 regarding uh, Hannah and Elkanah. And it tells us there in verse 7 that Of course, you know the story about how they went up to the to the uh, actually just say the house of the Lord. It's what it says in verse seven. But it was the tabernacle. It was a tent. There was no tabernacle erected or temple rather erected in in Hannah's day. But in verse seven, it says, and as he did so year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. And of course, we're just looking at this aspect of the tabernacle being called the house of the Lord. And of course, that allows us then to understand what David was speaking of when he said the house of the Lord. If you'll just turn a few more pages to the right, Second Samuel. So let's go to Second Samuel chapter 12. And verse 20, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. This uh, has to do with <coughs> uh, David's loss of his son, the time he spent in prayer and, and uh, waiting upon the Lord, being told that his son would die. And after he died, in verse 19, it says in verse 20, Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he came to his own house. And when, he re and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. 
So all we're saying in these references is that the tabernacle itself was called the house of the Lord. So it was not, should, it was not and should not be an unusual thing to us for David to say that he was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Now, having said that, this reference here about a song of degrees and the context in which the psalm is being given because it's referencing those who are going up to the house of the Lord. In what sense? This word degrees, as we said, is translated as sense or steps and so on. I want us to look at Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9. And we're going to look just at a couple of different ways this word is translated so that we get an idea of why there's such a variety of um, usages and consequently interpretations that apply to this psalm. So Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9. Where it says, For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and that's where we have our reference there, ascend from Babylon to Jerusalem. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And of course, when he says came he unto Jerusalem, ultimately the last portion of that trip, you remember, would have been quite a climb going up the, the mountain there to the actual city. And then if you'll look at um, Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5. Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5. Over here we find a, uh, another use of the word and supplied in a different way. And it has to do with thoughts and it has to do with that which arises in our minds. Thoughts that, in other words, we would say, you know, a thought just came up to me or came to me. And that's how it's used right here. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5 says, um, And the Spirit of the Lord fell unto me, upon me, and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord, thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Well, that's a pretty broad application. I know every thought that comes into your mind. Well, we, we do understand that, that God knows all. Psalm 139 says he knows our, every part of our being, including every thought. And here he's speaking uh, to Israel about that which comes into their mind or arises or ascends or comes into their mind. Um. And then, if you'll turn back again then to 1 Kings and, and, and chapter 10, we have another usage here. 1 Kings chapter 10. Talking here about the uh, kingdom of Solomon and how grand and glorious it was, and talking about his throne. In verse um, 19, 
It says there, the throne had six steps. So now we're talking about steps. Then if you turn over to 2 Kings, one more. 2 Kings chapter 20. Second Kings chapter 20. You got a Bible with the, at the top of the page, or if you got an outline Bible or something, it was going to tell you something here about Hezekiah. So that ought to give you a clue what he's going to talk about. Second Kings chapter 20, beginning with verse 9. Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go back? Uh, Go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Well, here we have the word degrees. And, of course, you know that on a dial, a sundial, it was marked out with degrees. So it was flat, circular, and as the sun would cast its shadow, it would go around by degrees, step by step. So we see several different kinds of applications here. And in actuality... You could look at these and claim various ways then to understand or interpret Psalm 122. For instance, you could just take this uh, in the sense, we'll say, in the sense of of, of steps. Well, that that being the case, um, some think that this is a reference here to the priests as they ascended the steps going up to the temple. Well, that being the case, they would deny that David was the author of this psalm. They would say he couldn't have been. If they're talking about a real temple, well, I kind of discard that one. I don't, I don't think that's the case, although there is a good bit of manuscript evidence uh, that uh, leaves the name David off of here, and it just says a, psalm, uh, a song of degrees. But there's other evidence, and I'm going to bring that out in a minute, that says it should be there, and I'll tell you why. Um, If we leave it as a song of um, a sense, that is like in the sense of coming into the mind, then we have songs of worship here. Uh, These songs of degrees, songs of a sense that we're sung by those who were of that part of Israel who were in love with Jehovah, Yahweh, trying to get out of the habit of saying Jehovah. Now, it's Yahweh. I've got to obey my own preaching here (laughs) from a couple weeks ago. Uh, That there was a progression of worship as you progress through these psalms. And so entering into the mind of those was this, this progression of nearness to Yahweh and, and, and a progression of uh, knowledge and understanding of their relationship to him. Well, that might be the case. That it's uh, very possible. Um, I would think that we need to take it pretty much just like it stands right here. 
that this was a reference to the pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem. They were on their way to worship the Lord, to celebrate the feasts of Israel. That is, at least the three primary feasts that the men of Israel were required to go to, which was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And you can imagine, they all began on a certain day, you know, and it's just like any kind of a holiday or something that's going on, uh, a flood of people would be coming up those roads leading up to Jerusalem. And they, they, there was this huge anticipation of this coming into the city. And, and the reason I'm trying to bring all this out is to build us up to this whole idea of Jerusalem and what it meant in the life of Israel and the central part that it played in the life of the citizenry. And so as they were marching up to Jerusalem, singing these hymns, then you, you had, and I can anticipate this or, or envision it at least, in conjunction with this was this, what we re- referenced earlier, this excitement building in the minds, this ascent in the minds of those who were literally climbing up to Jerusalem as they neared the city, to worship the Lord. And as we, as you, if you look at this, you know, he says in verse 2, Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Now, if you look at several different translations, they will tell you uh, that it's a participle there, and it's really our feet are standing within the gates or thy gates, O Jerusalem. This anticipation was so strong and so deep in the heart of these Jewish people who were ascending to Israel or to Jerusalem and to worship Jehovah on these specified festival days that they envisioned themselves in their relationship to Yahweh, no matter where they lived throughout the, the, the land, as having their feet, though, within the gates. In other words, they were testifying that they belonged to Jehovah. And by the way, this was a unique crowd. Because down in verse 6, he selects out those he calls upon to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as they shall prosper that love thee. It was the ones who truly loved Jerusalem and loved the city and understood what it stood for and what it represented in the life of the nation that David is making his appeal to. So, having said those things, um, there's an... I want I, I, the only way I know to do this is just read it. Um, I was reading after this. Um, I, don't, I don't even. It was out of a magazine, I guess. Um, I'll just read it, and you can you listen in, and then I'll try to explain it. He says concerning these psalms. Now we're talking here at this point, the psalms from Psalm one twenty to Psalm one thirty four. He says all are grouped 
around Psalm 127. Well, if you look over at Psalm 127, and I have to turn a page to do that, you'll see it says, a song of degrees for Solomon. And if you look at all of the Psalms, you'll see that that's the only one ascribed to Solomon. That is, in this group we're talking about here. And if you look a little harder, you'll find that there are 15 of these Psalms, and there are seven before this Song of Solomon, and there are seven after the Song of Solomon. So we see some structure here, some divine structure, I believe. And so he goes on to say there, on both sides there stands a heptad, that's just a word for seven, of pilgrim songs consisting of two psalms written by David and five others which have no name attached. Both sevens are divided into four and three. Each seven contains the name of uh, Yahweh 24 times, each of the connected groups. Surely, he says, the facts here stated show the impress of a divine hand, the hand which guided and controlled those who have been thus used as vehicles both of a divine design and divine thoughts. The unity of these psalms is not one merely of form. It also refers to the thoughts. And so that's why I was trying to bring out this depth of meaning in this word ascents, that it refers to the depth of of the mind and the thoughts arising there to the physical steps going up to the temple, to the tabernacle, rather, uh, to the house of the Lord. And um, the degrees then of closeness which they felt as they approached the city of Jerusalem. Now, of course, well, let me... Well, okay, let me go on to say, then, what you're looking at, and, and I really should have handed one, a chart out to you, so I, I, I put this in a chart form so you could make it easier to see, um, but on, you know, I, I made a chart, I put Psalm 127 up here at the top in the middle, and then on each side, you've got a group of Psalms of four and a group of Psalms of three. And on the other side, you got a group of psalms of four and a group of psalms of three. On each side, you have two psalms that are authored by David. On each side of Psalm 127. On each side of Psalm 127, Yahweh's name is mentioned 24 times. In each group... That is, the group of four and the group of three on one side, and the group of four and the group of three on the other side, Yahweh's name is mentioned 12 times. 12, 12, 12, 12. I don't think that could have been by accident. I think that was designed on purpose. The psalmists were, and, and, and those who collected the psalms and put them in order in our Bible, I think we're guided by the Holy Spirit in doing that. And all of that simply served as a reminder to those pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem year after year after year, three times a year, to celebrate these feasts of the importance of that city, number one, 
the dwelling place of God within that city, the tabernacle, and God's desire then for them to come up to the city to meet with him. It was his dwelling place. Now, of course, the dwelling place today is where? It's right here this morning. It's God's people assembled together. It's his assembly. It's his believing people. And he desires to meet with us in assembly on just such occasions as this. We don't wait for a specific holiday. You know, and, and the, things you, the thing that you, you come to when you come to the New Testament is these things are not tied to the earth as it was for Israel. A specific place. For instance, we could choose to put up a tent out in the back here and meet out there and we'd have the same effect. God's people meeting together and fellowshipping together and his desire then is to be there in the midst. We might even meet back there in the fellowship hall and have a fellowship meal. God's desire is to meet there in our midst. It's a whole different relationship. It's not tied to anything physical or material. That's why we often say, you know, the church isn't the building. I know that we constantly, constantly refer to this as the house of the Lord. But it's not the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is God's people assembled wherever they meet. They might meet in somebody's living room or den or, or you know, they might rent a, a building somewhere. Uh, you know, this church started out in a dance studio down the road here. Uh, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter the place. What mattered was that God's people came together for the purpose of worship. And that's what these uh, Israelite pilgrims were doing. They were going to a specific place that God had ordained for them to meet with him. Now, having said all of that, um, uh, see, I, I got myself out of order here. Turn to, um, no, I don't want to do that now. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, let's go. Let's do that. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And I'm trying again here to put in perspective, you know, what David was saying and the time period in which he said this, and what the city of Jerusalem must have been like. All right, now, in, in 2 Samuel 5, beginning in verse 7, it says there, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. Now, all of this has to do with when David became king, you know, he, he was acting just like any king would. He was securing the kingdom. 
He was booting out everyone that didn't belong there. He was getting rid of everybody that did not fit into his kingdom. Which, by the way, is what the Lord Jesus Christ will do when he comes to establish his kingdom over the earth. He will remove those who do not belong. In Psalm chapter 6, verse 8, David said there, Depart from me, ye lawless ones. And then Jesus quoted that verse in the Sermon on the Mount and used it in the same fashion that he would remove from his presence in his kingdom those who don't belong there, those who don't fit in. Here, David took the stronghold of Zion to secure his kingdom He says here, the same is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Now we're talking positions of shared rulership in David's kingdom. But it took effort on the part of those who wanted to be a part of that administration. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Millo and inward. Now Millo was the, um, it's understood variously, but more like the word means to fill something in. So it's just like, uh, when this property right here, there was a day when this was the millow. <laughs> you know, they, they hauled dirt in here and they filled it all in so that we could build a building here. And that's what David did. When he captured the city of Zion where the Jebusites were, he immediately began a project of construction and making the city safe and secure for the citizens. So he began to build the walls And they built houses and buildings for the administration of the kingdom. And if you go back to Psalm 122 then, you'll notice in, I have to get over there myself, I think it's in verse 3. He says there, Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. So what he's having reference to there is the fact that David was you know, filling in, building up the city, making it a stronghold, making it secure as a safe place. Then, if we took the time, and I won't because we're going to run out of time, and it's 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 24 We find that Solomon then, when he took the throne, he did the same thing. And he began on that higher level to fill in up there where the temple was going to be built. And he expanded the city. And of course, over the centuries, it's been done many, many, many times where they've filled in and expanded the city and built the walls. And and then, of course, if you look at any kind of a map of of Jerusalem, you'll see um, the first 
The first one will show the walls of the city of Zion, the city of David. And then from there, those walls at different stages over the centuries began to grow outward and outward. Several different, several different times. But the point he's making here, when he says it was tight and compacted together, is that it was secured, made safe. And then, <clears throat> in verses 4 and 5, he talks, he's really saying something here about the, the civil or civic aspect of the city. He says, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord, for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. In other words, the centrality of Jerusalem as a place where justice would be administered, decisions of the kingdom would be made, rulings would be handed down, or edicts, or decrees, or whatever else you want to call them. This is where the shared rulership was. It's plural, thrones, seats of judgment. And, of course, these pilgrims, when they came to Jerusalem, he's saying they saw these thrones there. They saw these seats. They understood that this was Jehovah's meeting place for rendering judgment for the nation. And then I want to end then with this phrase, Concerning the peace of Jerusalem. What does he mean when he says pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Well, one thing we can look at is when you think of of David the king building his city, establishing his kingdom, when he says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, number one, he's just thinking about making it secure and safe for the citizenry. If there's safety and peace and security within the city, then all the citizens of Israel will know peace and safety. The whole nation. But of course, I think it still goes beyond that. David's call, you know, went out, it's been 3,000 years or so since David said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we still pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. And rightly so. We do so because we know there's coming a day when the Lord is going to reestablish his presence in that city. And he is going to issue forth rulings or judgments from that same city. I want us to look at a couple verses that talk about this. Um, Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to try to double up some of these here because we're running out of time. 1 Kings chapter 8. And... Okay, yeah, all right. Verse 26. I lose my place sometimes. That's what happens when I get out of order here. Verse 26. We'll read, let's read a few verses here. He says, And now, O God of Israel, let thy... And the more, by the way, this is Solomon's prayer here at the dedication of the temple. He says, And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou makest unto thy servant David my father... 
But will God indeed dwell on the earth? In other words, Solomon just built a, a temple for the Lord. This huge, grand, glorious structure that was the central focus of all of the nation of Israel. And he says, will indeed God dwell on the earth? Well, of course, it's, it's a rhetorical question. And the answer was, well, yes, God desired to dwell there. But wait a minute, he says, you're too big for this, Lord. Notice what he says on. The heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward the house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place, and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Well, you see this dualism throughout these verses, that heaven is God's dwelling place, and yet here in Jerusalem, in this temple, God dwells amongst these people. And they are to pray toward this place. Now, we haven't, we don't do that today. When this church was built, there was no architect hired that said, now I want you to turn this church and get it, I want it to be facing Israel. So when we pray, you know, we're facing Jerusalem. We don't do that. We have a, a, a whole different administration, a whole different economy. But God's people were told to pray towards Jerusalem. They were told to go up to Jerusalem to pray. And the focus was on the Lord's house in Jerusalem. Now, having said that, um, chapter, well, let's just go chapter 11 Turn a few pages over, 1 Kings chapter 11, and look at verse 13. He says, Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. And if you look at verse 36... There he says, and unto his son will I give one tribe that David my servant may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. And so turn to Micah chapter 4 and verse 2. Micah chapter 4, verse 2. You got Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Did I say I'm all right? Is it Jonah then Micah? Yeah, it is. Micah chapter 4. Let's read verse 1. He's talking about 
what it's going to be like in the coming kingdom, in the millennium. And he says, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for this this right here to happen. We're looking forward to that coming day when this will take place. And it will become a central focal point on the earth once again. And then lastly, I don't know where to make my last one. (laughs) I don't know where to make my last. Romans chapter 8. Let's just try to finish there. Romans chapter 8. We don't find the name Jerusalem here. But we do find Paul's summation of what it's going to be in that coming day. When he says in verse 21, Romans chapter 8, verse 21, because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty or the, 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 the freedom of the glory of the children of God, For we know that the whole creation, or all creation, groans and travails in pain together until now. In other words, Paul's looking forward to that day, knowing that there's coming a certain day when all of creation will know God's ultimate purpose and plan for this earth. And Jerusalem when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, is the central focal point of all of that. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem is praying for that coming day. And I wish I had, I'd like to say a lot more about that, but I can't. Anyway, let's quit. Past time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings and thank you for the the, the, the assurance of your word. And even as earlier, that the things that Jerry read that were assurance, words of assurance that you are going to do what you promised you would do. And we cling to that today. We believe it. We believe that there's going to be peace in Jerusalem one day. We believe that there will be peace upon the earth. And we believe, Father, that those who love you and love Jerusalem and pray for her will be those who will share in those thrones of judgment. We'll be captains and mighty men and others who will share in the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let us be found faithful. Let us be found true to your word. And let us be found in that day believing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.